I really feel in uh, keeping with last week, it's a word from God and uh, for us. Um, but I want to prefix that by saying something. So go to 1 Kings 18, sorry. And I think it's around about verse 41. And then I'm going to give you the back story, the background, the back story. Are you all ready? Yeah. Okay, cool. So um, chatting to Jared Cooper, there was a, a notable prophet. Now, there's been a lot of prophets and a lot of prophecies around COVID-19. Some of them, yeah, okay. Others, mm, I wouldn't listen to them again, the prophetic words. Some of them are more like, never mind, we are live streaming. So, <clears throat> but this particular prophet stood up and spoke of a great revival, a great move of God that was coming um, latter end of 2020. Then he paused and stopped and he said, but the Lord says that first there's going to be a dramatic pause. He said, to put it another way, it's going to be a sealer before this thing happens. So right now we're in the dramatic pause. More dramatic we couldn't get. Okay, more of a sealer we couldn't get. And, and I believe, you know, God doesn't initiate it, but certainly God uses it. And God is able to work things, all things together for good to them that love God and that are called according to His good purposes. So that's you and me. <clears throat> now, I just need to say, right now, if, right now, it doesn't look like it's working for your good. I want you to just trust God. God isn't finished yet. He will work all things together for good to them that love God and who are called according to His purposes. So I want to repeat that this morning. That is you. Amongst others, okay? Uh, his church, his bride, his people. And so there's going to be this dramatic pause. But one of the things that I, I, I um, sense that is completely necessary is um, kind of what we're going through right now. And I've got to find my notes. Uh, there it is. And uh, um, it's related to the story. Late last night, the Lord just spoke to me um, out of the story with Elijah. And I, and I want to bring it across and I want to bring something over to you because in this dramatic pause, attitude is everything. In this dramatic pause, in the sealer, the way that you conduct yourself, the way that we conduct ourselves will determine the outcome for us. You look right through the Bible, all the way through the Bible, you will see there were moments, there were times like this and uh, where people are you 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 either you got a choice you either trust god or you don't is that okay so we, we're kind of in that moment right now and uh, a lot of people are under a lot of pressure and i'm certain that some of you are as well but um in view of number one god's word and number two prophetic words like this it is time for us to pick up a fresh sense of destiny it is time for us to pick up a fresh vision of what is ahead. Please don't draw your conclusions and get into emotions concerning this particular pause that we're in called COVID-19 lockdown and live as if it is your reality because it is not. Is that okay? You know that um, I like what I think it was Derek Prince that said, we accept the reality of situations and things, but we don't accept the finality of it. Because God has got something to say about it, and He's said plenty about it. So let's go to the story of Elijah, and I want to just unpack this teaching for you this morning. And I, I really feel it's like for us. Um, I, um, I struggled to fall asleep last night because it was working through my heart and mind so much, and I was taking so much out of it, and I was introspecting and applying to my own life. And I was looking back on my life and I've seen how God has taught me things over the years and through two dramatic illnesses that almost took my life and, and how uh, certain things God has worked into me that has put me in good stead for times like this and beyond. And, and you have those stories as well. But, but here's the story. You know the story that <clears throat> once again Israel had abandoned God and gone off to idols that completely backslidden. But praise God for someone like Elijah. And uh, God always maintains a witness. And, and so Elijah stands up and he challenges Israel. And the way that it was was in, in the terms and conditions of the law, which was if you abandon God, drought and the 
the ensuing consequences of drought is famine because no food, no rain, no food. And so God said to Elijah and gave him incredible authority and incredible power. And uh, it's interesting that James says that we have like passions like Elijah. And, and um, so in other words, we can do the same things because we need to overcome certain passions like Elijah did. Is that okay? So just I want you to keep that in your mind. And so Elijah, God said to him, at your word, there will be neither rain nor dew for three and a half years. And so he said there will be no more rain or dew. And so the, 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 the weather patterns changed, and there was no rain in Israel for three and a half years. And then, you know, the challenge came out. You know, there's, there's a story in between. The challenge came out, and all the prophets of Baal gathered on Mount Carmel, the mountain of choice for um, Elijah, you know, or God. And so they gathered there, 400 prophets of Baal. And uh, they were allowed to call on their God first to see if they could induce rain. And you know the whole story. And Elijah's standing there taunting them. Wah, 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 wah. You know, it's your God sleeping. Da, 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 da. You know, uh, such confidence he had in God. In fact, in one translation it says, is he behind a bush going to the toilet? You know, has he gone aside? You know, maybe he needs a wee-wee or something like that. And uh, where's your God? And they cut themselves and they went uh, berserk. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon, coincidentally, or just before 3 o'clock, coincidentally, it was the time of the second sacrifice that God instituted all the way back, um, you know, early on in his dealings with Israel, 9 in the morning and 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It's really interesting that Peter and John went up to the temple at the hour of prayer, which was 3 in the afternoon, you know, which was the time of the lifting of the hands, the evening oblation. That was the time that Jesus was crucified. And they knew that power comes out of the cross. So the time of three o'clock, he builds the altar, puts the sacrifice on top of the wood, pours water on it, fire comes down from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and even licks up all the water around it. Archaeologists uh, believe they have found the exact site of where um, um, Elijah confronted them and the fire fell because there's a vast area where, where the rock is metamorphosized, where it has been changed by an exceptionally great heat. And they say that was the site where fire fell from the presence of God. That was just for your information. It had nothing to do with the size of your offering. <clears throat> it's just a blessing, that information. Okay. And so fire fell down. And you know the story. They, they uh, killed the prophets of Baal. <clears throat> The amazing thing was King Ahab was present, who was king of Israel. He was there. He witnessed it. And uh, you know the story. He was married to Jezebel. And uh, you can thank God you don't have one for your wife like that. But anyway, and so King Ahab was watching, and he observed all of this. As a nation, they turned back to God. The implication is Ahab also repented and said, God is our God, the God of Israel. And so... Um, Elijah turns around and says to him, okay, king, you can get up and go and eat and drink now because they'd been fasting all day. And so the king goes and eats and drinks. Um, uh, Elijah goes with his servant to a particular spot on the hill and they're um, you know, looking towards the sea. Elijah gets down, head between knees, the position of childbirth, which now is symbolic of intercession, and he begins to pray. Seven times, go and look and tell me what you see. Seventh time he comes back, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. He, he says, go and tell Elijah, I mean, go and tell King Ahab, hook up your chariots and get going. Because I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. It says, in the meantime, the, sclu, the sky grew black with rain and um, it started to rain. So, there goes Ahab on his chariot with his horse, 20 miles to, to Jezreel, where he lived, where his palace was. And... Uh, the chapter closes out. Suddenly, the anointing of God hits Elijah. He says the hand of God came upon him, which means the, the anointing, the power of God came on his life. That's why Ezekiel says the strong hand of the Lord was upon me. It means an anointing came over him. And so he does something. He takes his robes because they wore those wrong, wrong robes, you know, like, like you see in the Middle East today. He picks them up. Um, and, and frees his legs. And the Bible says he tucks his garments or his mantle into his belt. In other words, I need to unrestrain myself, my legs, in order to run in the power of the Spirit for a specific purpose. 
Amen. So he tucked it into his belt and he took off and started running in the spirit. Come on, church. He ran in the spirit. He overtook Ahab's chariot and horses, even though he got a late start and he arrived at Jezreel and he was standing waiting at the gates. And here comes the king. I mean, he just saw, that was Elijah. Amen. And his cloak was tucked into his belt. Come on, everybody say his cloak was tucked, his cloak, his mantle was tucked into his belt. So now, I want to come back to that. See, the Holy Spirit didn't anoint Elijah for nothing. It wasn't just for a display. It wasn't just for, woo, 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 woo. There goes, you know, in a Holy Spirit frenzy, woo, 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 You know, and you see puffs of dust like Roadrunner. And there goes Elijah. It was for a specific purpose. And you know, last night was the first time I ever understood why this happened to him. Of my word. If you come next week, I'll tell you. If you give a bigger offering, I'll tell you. I'm teasing. And so he went and he waited outside the city gates. Because the whole purpose was, for Elijah, the purpose was that when the king went into the city, he would go to the palace. And then the king, uh, the prophet knew that actually it was Jezebel that ran the show. And he was waiting to see if Ahab would go and institute the reform in his home and then from there in the nation. But the Bible says he went in and he told Jezebel. Jezebel was furious and she sent messengers out to the gate where, where um, Elijah was waiting and said, May God deal with me like this. If by this time tomorrow I don't do unto you what you did to those prophets. And in 1 Kings chapter 19 verse 3, we see the prophet running again. But this time it was not in the power of the Spirit. This time his robes were not tucked up under his belt. The Bible says he was afraid and he was running for his life. Come on, church. See, there's a difference over here. There's a difference. The attitude, the emotion, the feelings with which he went towards Jezreel is now different for when he's running uh, towards Beersheba, running away from the queen what transpired what you know when when she spoke what happened what contradictory emotions rose up in elijah's heart that this great man of god who ran there in the power of the spirit there was a listen to it there was a purpose and a destiny for him there i believe the story could have been very different if he had then said okay so is that so and if he marched into the palace and confronted that wicked witch I mean, he just took out 400 prophets of Baal. If he'd gone in, and that was supposed to be the end of the story. And it was left to the next generation, to Jehu, I believe it was. You with me, church? Because of a contradictory feeling or emotion, he never finished the race. He never finished his course. He never finished the story. And you know he ended up in a cave until he got the voice of God back. In the process, he lost the voice. There's a dramatic pause that we're in. There is, there's a, there is a seal our moment that God has brought us into. There's something ahead. But whether we achieve that or not will determine how we're running in this particular time. It will depend on what set of emotions, what set of feelings, based on what truths we implement now, will we achieve, will we will get, will we finish the story, will there be the destiny for us as a church. Is that okay? Is it, can, anybody, can anybody say amen? amen. Um, you, know, I, you know, if it's, if it's difficult, just say amen anyway, and everybody will think we're on the same page, you know? And so there's a, there's a purpose and a plan. So in this pause moment, Everything we do, everything we say, the way we behave, the way we respond is vitally, vitally important. Just um, a few things about that. Um, people's emotions, our emotions. Emotions um, can trigger us to get angry just like that. The saying goes, to cry at the drop of a hat. To face the unforgiveness in our hearts. Maybe even to drive to succeed at the expense of others. Emotions and feelings. Emotions is what makes us people. God has emotions. But I, I want you to understand something. 
that in the Garden of Eden, emotions fell. Let's take one example, because it's the example that I want to use, and it's the example, the emotion, that gets the most attention in the Bible more than any other emotion is the emotion of fear. In its pure form, even for God, you know, for Jesus, um, the emotion of fear is, is given even to the most whole person is to act in a, in a situation that is dangerous. It's to release adrenaline to either fight or to run, fight or flight. But when that emotion becomes corrupt, it becomes complex. It becomes complicated. And suddenly we see how that emotion that is supposed to enable us to act or to extricate ourselves from danger has now become so complex that people are suffering with fear of failure. Some people fear success because they've had so many failures that when they succeed, they fear we're going to fail again. Some people fear so much because every time something goes well, then something goes wrong. So when things are going well, they fear because, oh my goodness, something's going to go wrong. You know, you know life is too happy. When is the tragedy coming? And so it becomes really complex and really complicated. We've been hurt in relationships. Now we fear getting close to somebody because we may lose that person. And we can fear loss. We, we can fear the future. We can fear the dark. We can fear, I mean, there's a whole host of complexities that go along with this emotion. And it's very interesting how in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve fell, I want you to understand it was feelings that got them to the situation. Um, you know, John, in 1 John chapter 2, refers to it as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. In other words, what will I become, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it appeals to feelings, and the tree appealed to the feelings. And so, and so the result was, for the first time, there was a fear in the garden. And the fear was when Adam said to God, I heard you, but I, I, I was afraid, so I hid. And then there was all these accompanying emotions that came with the fear. And, and even to the point of denial and self-justification and then blame shifting and accusation, even to the point where they actually blamed God. And so, so all of the complexity of it, listen, there is nothing like fear to capture all of your other emotions. I mean, in, in South Africa now we're hearing about state capture, but I want to tell you there's another thing called emotion capture. And fear, the emotion of fear captures every other one of your emotions. Very interesting. I like what one person when I was studying it said, feelings are the conscious experience of emotional reaction. Feelings are the conscious experience of emotional reaction. So if I react emotionally on something, the conscious feeling that I have comes out of that. For example, if I get embarrassed, um, you know, I, I get a certain feeling. And, you know, if you light-skinned like us, we go red. Our cheeks go red, you know. But everybody gets a certain look on our faces and a certain demeanor when we get embarrassed. But that's the conscious feeling that comes out of an emotion. Is everybody with me? I don't want to be too complicated because we, 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 we're talking about Elijah now. Is that okay? But, but the thing that I'm trying to show us over here is the, the danger in this pause period of somewhere along the line getting into emotions that are incorrect um, and that trigger feelings that are unjustified. You see, um, fear, guilt, shame, denial, self-justification, accusation all came about. Your emotion and your emotional responses to things will determine A, either maturity or B, immaturity. Either victory or failure. Your emotions can either cause you to be healthy or sick. You know, uh, it's, um, hope deferred makes the bone sick. But the joy of the Lord is my strength, you know, and laughter doeth good like a medicine. And so our emotions can affect our state of mind, can affect our physical bodies. And, um, you know, the Bible even refers to men's hearts failing them for fear. And, and fear, you know, stress has got the greatest effect on our physical bodies than any other, anything else. 
Is that okay? And so it's really important that our emotions are saved. Very often our emotions, our desires are connected, uh, um, uh, feelings are connected to what we desire. And if we don't get what we want, it can result in all kinds of things. And James says in James chapter 4, what causes fights and quarrels amongst you? Verses 1 and 2. He says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill, you covet. That's an emotion, a feeling. But you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Isn't it amazing how feelings and emotions can even warp right and wrong, your sense of right and wrong? Isn't that right? I mean, I mean you're watching a movie, bad cop, good cop, you know? Um, and these cops, and they get this baddie, and he's killed everybody. And, and now, you know, this cop's finally got him, and he's laying on the ground, and he's going, yeah, but I'll do it again. And, well, he's, and he's done despicable things. And the cop is standing there, and the, and the baddie's going, going, shoot, shoot, shoot. And we're all going like, but that's wrong. But, but, but you've got so caught up in the emotion of the movie, you're going, kill him, shoot him, just, just kill that bad guy. Yeah, you know, emotionally, you're squeezing the trigger for the actor. <laughs> And then he's shot and he just got the sense of justice. Yes. Isn't it amazing how feelings can warp our sense of right and wrong? Isn't it amazing how our feelings can even accuse God of being what God will never be? Amen. Feelings can say, God doesn't love me. God's abandoned me. God's let me down. Our feelings can accuse God. Our feelings can cause us to deny God. So fickle our feelings. Everybody, everybody following? And I'm not saying it's any of you. It was everybody in the previous meeting. But they all came to repentance. No, I'm teasing. So, so our feelings and our emotions, and it's really important for us in this particular pause moment to make sure that our feelings are right. It's very interesting. Um, um, sort of the, the major emotion that came up in the children of Israel when after a short while, they reached the very borders of the promised land. They're about to inherit their promises. It's like, woo, 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 woo. It's time, it's time. And, and they're right on the border. And then, you know, Moses says, okay, choose one from each twelve tribe, 12 guys, go in and spy out this land flowing with milk and honey. 12 of them go in, and 10 go like, oh, my word. I mean, oh, my word. Um, you know? Ten are going, Brooks, stand still. Your boss is anybody. And uh, two are going. And the Bible says Joshua and Caleb had a different spirit. Now, let me just interpret that for you. Let me interpret what is a different spirit. They had a different set of thought processes. They had a different sense of emotional response to the same stimulus that the other ten saw. Come on, church. That's a good place to say amen. I'm preaching good. So when they looked at the giants, the Nephilim, something of a negative didn't stir up inside them because their spirit was different. What well, they looked at, they were going like, yo, these guys are big, but have you seen the size of our God? Yo, he's much bigger. You know, like, woo-woo, we're going to take him down, you know? You know? It's like, I'm really having fun with little Eli. Um, he's, he's three now going on 15. And, uh, no, four now going on 17. And, uh, but it's, it's so interesting um, he's, he's, uh, Jonathan has taught him the look, you know. I, I don't know if you've ever, ever seen Jonathan's look. But uh, every now and then they do a stare down. So when Jonathan's hopping out and some days I go and get Eli, and the first thing he does when he sees Jonathan is this. And then Jonathan's standing like this, and they give each other a look. And then Eli will say, I'm going to take you down. <laughs> So the two with a different spirit, Joshua and Caleb, are standing there looking at the Nephilim. Going to take you down. It's kind of what David did to Goliath, isn't it? I mean, that guy's so big, he's too big to miss. You know, I've said it before, David knew how to get ahead in life. And so, and so it's the size of your God. And so they were a different spirit because negative Feelings didn't rise up inside of them. But because of the majority, because of the ten, God instituted a year for a day principle, and you see it through the Bible. But basically he said, okay, 
He said the 12 spies were in the land for 40 days and they came back with a bad report and you all believed the report of the 10. So a year for a day. So for another 40 years, back into the wilderness. And that generation all died. A year for a day. And so it was only Joshua and Caleb because of a different spirit who outlived an entire generation. And at 80 years of age, Caleb says, I'm as young, I'm as virile as I was at the age of 40 when he was 80. And then he looks around and he says, give me the tough stuff. I want the hill country. And if you didn't know, let me finish the story for you. The Nephilim who were there were not some demonic race of people that some preachers preach. It was a particular group of uh, a, 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 a nation, a group of people who were just unusually big. And they were actually bullies. And uh, it was Caleb and then later David who finished off the last of the Nephilim. They lived in that country. And Caleb said, give me the tough stuff where the giants live. I'm going to go up and finish what we started at 80. Different spirit. Come on. Come on. Say different spirit. And so it was two men who had a different spirit, a charge of the emotion. So we read that thing in, uh, in James chapter 4. And uh, when he said, what causes fights and quarrels and so on and so on. You know, in James chapter 1, James says this. He says, count it all joy, my brethren, whenever you go through trials of various kinds. Count it all joy. You know, I count it all misery, you know, when we go through terrible stuff, you know. When you're going through a hard time, it's horrible. And, but James says, brethren, count it all joy. And it's very interesting. I think I did, oh, I did, I did, at one stage, I had opened to it. But let me, let me see if I can. Well, let's just go. I've got a screen there. There we are. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. That's trials, okay? Trials that produce temptation. And verse 3 says this. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith. Everybody say your faith. Say the trying of your faith. Work with patience. Now, how many of you know it's not just your faith on its own. It's the what? The testing, the trying of your faith that works patience. Go to verse 4. And then he says, but let patience, which comes out of the trying of your faith, have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting, lacking nothing. Does God have a purpose in these pause moments? Yes. Does God have a purpose in what you're going through in, your, in the difficulties? Absolutely. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says that the testing of your faith, which is more precious than gold, um, may result in glory to God. In other words, he, uh, what Peter is saying is that your faith, more valuable than gold, needs to be purified in the fire of trials. And you know and I know that when the impure form of gold comes, it is superheated until liquid and all the dross, all the slag, all the gunk, Anything that is not gold rises to the top and they take a skimming tool and they skim it off the top of that urn that it's standing in and then it's poured out into the ingots. Is that okay? Into bullion. And so, but it's first purified. And Peter says this, you've got to understand that your faith, this precious faith that you've received and been given as a gift from God needs to be tested. It needs to be tried so that it comes out as a pure faith. It needs to persevere, it needs to endure, it needs to, there needs to be patience, and when it's patient, uh, patience has finished its work, you lack. Is that okay? Are, is, are you getting something? We, we're going to reconnect to Elijah just now. I've got Elijah, the prophet's just standing waiting for me to finish the story, okay? For now, he's... He's running. And so the whole thing about our response is important. So James chapter 1, the amazing thing is that when, they're going through, when you're going through trials, James says it, and this is the context. He says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. The context is trials. Because in trials, you need wisdom. Is that okay? And then James says something so amazing. If, if you feel like I'm preaching long, you're, you're to blame because you're drawing it out of me. So listen. So James says this. You need wisdom now. And then if you ask for wisdom, God, without finding fault with you, will give it generously. You know how, oh, how we often do it, hey? When somebody starts off on a course and they're doing something and you give them a little bit of friendly advice, don't do that. 
and they go and do that. And it's a smash up. And then they come back to us for more advice and say, Yeah, um, if you finish paying university fees. I, I don't want to say it, but did I not tell you so? Have you ever been there? And James says God is completely different. God will go, without finding fault, the very thing you need is wisdom. So here it is. The condition is, the condition is, the condition is, let him ask without doubting the one who asks. He's a double-minded man, a two-spirited man, a man who takes the second thought, receives nothing from God. So come on, church. It's what we were just been talking about is with the, the two spies, Caleb and Joshua, had a different spirit. They had a singular spirit that was focused on God. They didn't take other thoughts that came out of the stimuli of giants standing in front of them. The other um, spy said, we look like grasshoppers to these men. And when we look at ourselves, we look like grasshoppers. In other words, they so took on the intimidation that when they looked at themselves, their senses said, we are grasshoppers. They forgot everything God did for them in the wilderness up until this point in time. They took on a different spirit. That same intimidation, that same spirit came to Joshua and Caleb. They didn't reject it. We don't look like grasshoppers. I like what one preacher said. Joshua and Caleb, when the spies were spying out the land and they, they had the binos and they were going, yes, those guys are big. Joshua and Caleb said, no, you got the binos the wrong way around. Turn it. <laughs> oh, they little that's the perspective of god amen and so let's move on um, very quickly let's move on and so our emotions are the we, we mustn't take up that second spirit but isn't it interesting that um you know it was the thing the single factor that kept israel out after 40 years they come back to the same place deja vu we've been here before yeah, 40 years ago. <laughs> and this time, Moses hands over leadership to Joshua. Joshua, Yeshua, Savior. Moses, the law, could never cause them to enter. But it had to be the Savior. It says, all right, three times in a couple of verses, read it. God says three times to Joshua, three times. Be strong. Be courageous. Do not be afraid. You know, implicit in that command tells me that your emotions are under your control. If you are a helpless victim of fear, if we were, God could not command you to be strong. Be courageous. Don't be afraid. It means I can take charge. Is that okay? It means I can do something about it. And this is what I want to talk to us about this morning, is, is taking charge. It's mastering. So we see an amazing example in Genesis chapter 4 when Cain kills Abel. In a perfect world, a perfect environment, we see these feelings arise that causes the first sin. And the first sin was not the act of murder. It was the attitudes before. You know, but nevertheless, the first act of sin was murder. And it was because Cain brought his offerings and God didn't accept it. And God saw him walking around the field, kicking the stone, and his bottom lip was so long, he was just about tripping over it. And God is saying, why does your face look so sad? <laughs> you know, um, and, and, and so because he was tripping over his bottom lip. Now, how many of you know that's a feeling, a conscious reaction to an emotion? Is that Okay. David knew what to do with that long face. When he said, why are you so downcast on my soul? Put your hope in God. Is that okay? And so, you know, Cain was not fair. You know, God's not fair. You know, God's not fair. But God had already showed them what sacrifices to bring when he killed the, the lamb to, to clothe Adam and Eve. And, and, that was the, and then God says to him, look, if you do right, will you not be accepted? And then God says to them, but I want to tell you something. Sin is crouching at your door like a lion to pounce on you. 
Its desire is to control you. But you must master it. Is that okay? Listen, church, I, I want to just say something to us. That in the fall, we have unsanctified emotions with illegitimate feelings that follow, and we need to master it because its desire is to control us. You don't have to say amen, but I think it's true. Paul calls it the flesh. And that's why in Galatians chapter uh, 5 from verse 20, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, which is implicit in all of those fruit is very much emotions. And then he talks about the works of the flesh. You know, hatred and discord and, and um, witchcraft and all kinds of things. Just, you know, what kind of feelings are involved in all of those kind of, what kind of unsanctified emotions belong to that category? Paul says it's the flesh. It's very interesting that uh, Paul says, I think it's 1 Corinthians 9 verse 27. I think it is. Just put it up for us, Steve. See me if I'm right because I'm running on memory now. 1 Corinthians 9 27. It's very interesting what the apostle Paul said. He says, no, I beat my body. And I make it my slave, so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now let me just explain that verse to you. What Paul is talking about is that constant battle between the spirit and the flesh. He says in Romans 18, by the spirit we put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. Paul said that in, in um, Ephesians chapter 2, that in the flesh natural body, there is desires and affections that pull us the world direction and, and not God direction. Is that okay? So he said, so concerning this body, he says, I beat it. If you want to look it up in the Greek, you can go and check it. Literally what it means, I gave my body two black eyes. Literally in the Greek, that's what it means. It means puffed up black eyes. And so what he was saying is, I just, I thumped myself. I gave myself two black eyes and said, body submit. You won't tell me what to do. Because after I've preached the gospel, I don't want to be disqualified for the prize. What he was talking about was feelings and emotions that comes up inside of him, conscious reactions to legitimate emotions. Is that okay? Am I saying something? Is that okay? And, and so, so this is Paul's attitude. And, um, you know, I don't want to go further into that, but we, we need to master it. We need to overcome it. So Hebrews chapter 5 verse 14, same author, says this. Strong meat... Um, talking about the doctrine of righteousness, belongs to them that are full age, those who are mature. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. Is that good? So in other words, mature people are those who've trained their senses, like Joshua and Caleb, with their certain stimuli, they don't respond like the world. They respond with a different spirit. They respond in a different way. Is that okay? Just exactly again, like David. When he goes, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? The king and the rest of the army are standing, shaking at the side of Goliath. And this little guy, this little shepherd boy, whose only uh, mission in life was to obey his father and take stores and provision for his brother, stands and goes like, who is this? What is this? And everybody else is shaking. Come on, church. Is everybody with me? What is our response in, in those pause moments? What is our response? Um, are we going to imbibe a different spirit? And that's what happened to the, to the prophet Elijah. And that's why he ran in the opposite direction. Because somehow, in an unguarded moment, his senses got hooked by a word that was contrary to every emotion that he'd been experiencing up until that moment. Um, let me just very quickly talk about, um, yeah, anyway, fear, fear dampens daily miracles. It detracts from destiny. So negative emotion that keeps us from experiencing the love and the blessing of God. So I just want to very quickly, so what is the, Pastor John, what is the solution? Well, here's the solution. It's three little words. And I, I, I remember one preacher once preaching about the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, you know, blessed are the meek, blessed are. And he called them the be happy attitudes. Because if you've got those attitudes in place, your emotions are right and subsequent feelings that follow them, you'll feel more like, happy is that okay 
No. I wish you could see your faces right now. <clears throat> it must be the concentration. I don't know. I want us to, just very quickly, can we just run through something very quickly? P uh, Steve, can you put First Peter chapter 1, and we're going to just read through. Is it okay? First Peter chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to run through this. Because I want us to get to the place where we're able and we are well positioned to come out of this thing to be people of destiny for what God's got on the other side of this. And I'm not saying this to try and drum you up into some kind of false, happier state. I'm persuaded and convinced of it. Okay? So what I'm preaching you, A is the word and B it's my conviction in the spirit. And so, 1 Peter chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and Bonera Park. He says, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Woo -woo. In other words, God knew beforehand. Yeah, isn't that good? Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for the obedience to Jesus Christ, and sprinkling by His blood, in other words, holiness, Okay, so by the sanctifying work to obedience and holiness, uh, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Let's go to the next verse. And uh, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that sounds just like Ephesians 3, doesn't it? In His great mercy, He's given us new birth into a what? A living what? Living hope. Everybody say hope. Hope, 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 hope. And uh, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we got hope. So verse 4. He says, And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you. Not that you've got to go there to get it. It's just preserved in the spiritual realm. Not subject to decay or decline. And then he says, Who through faith. Everybody say faith. So what was the first word I asked you to repeat? Hope. Who through what? Faith. Are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to, ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, there's, there's a fuller um, fulfillment of what we have now. And in verse 6, he goes on to say, In this you greatly rejoice. In this you greatly rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Ooh-wee. Ooh this is the pause period. Is it okay? So he's saying in the pause period you're suffering, but uh, <clears throat> the attitude that is coming is what? You greatly what? You greatly moan. You greatly duck back. You greatly drag in your bottom lip around. No, you greatly rejoice. And in verse 7, he says this. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. In other words, when we get the whole deal. Verse 8. Oh, I love it. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Verse 9. I like this. For you are receiving the what? The goal of what? Your faith. Woo. Your faith's got a goal. Which is what? The salvation of your souls. Including your what? Your mind, your emotions, your senses. Is that okay? Okay. And then concerning the salvation, verse 10. Skip it. Let's go to verse 13. Oh man. Now you're going to see it. Verse 13. He says, therefore. What did Yogi be always used to say? Be prepared. Something like that. So therefore, prepare your minds for? Action. Be what? Self-control. Not try and control others. Be what? Self-controlled. Set your, there it is again, fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. In other words, when everything is manifest. Okay. So therefore what? Prepare your minds for action. Now, I want to ask Stephen to hold that verse there. Okay. This is where, Prophet, Elijah, are you ready? I want you to step back into the picture, please, Prophet. Come. Put it in King James. Thanks. Listen to what King James says. So I read the King James. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Come on, it's falling. It's falling. It's falling. It's falling. It's falling. What do you say, prophet? It was a good message, eh? Woo. In other words, 
Very often, your spirit, your emotions, the thing that you wear is referred to as a garment. So he's given us a garment of praise. In other words, it's what everyone sees and everyone is in contact. A garment of praise instead of a spirit, a mindset, an attitude of heaviness. Is that okay? And so Elijah picked up all of his emotions, tucked it under the belt of truth. Hooked it up under truth and submitted it all to the truth of God's word. And the Spirit of God came on him and he ran with a purpose in the power of God to a destiny. But when he took a second thought and he had a different spirit, this time he didn't hook it up into truth. And he ran with a different emotion, fear. Come on, church. Gird up the loins of your mind. So what is God saying to us in this pause period it's going to change we're going to come out of it everybody's talking about the new normal the new normal what does the new normal look like it's going to look like normal you know eventually we're going to lose the masks and the visors and the sanitizer thing will be put in the corner and uh, we're going to get back to normal is that okay church will carry on kingdom will carry on you know we're going to trade again you know people were asking me um so what is church going to look like i said oh well we're going to meet we're going to get together at nine o'clock we're going to have praise and worship i'm going to preach we're going to land we're going to do this stuff yeah some of the things that we may do different is we might use you know the social media a little bit more and tweak it and things like that lessons we learned is that okay but otherwise it's going to look like we might refine our businesses and things like this, but it's going to be what? Okay. That's my humble opinion, and we'll see whether I'm right or wrong. I guarantee you I'll be right. <laughs> so anyway, so it says, gird up the loins of your minds. So right now is a time to hook up all of those things. Take every emotion that is not biblical. Take every feeling that is, is contrary to the Spirit of God. Hook it, put it into the belt of truth and say, come on. Uh, I subject this thing to the belt of truth. So Paul says this. Paul says this. Take every thought captive. Every thought. And make it subject to Christ. And what is he saying? What is Paul saying? He said every thought that comes, submit it to, who, uh, to, to what Christ says you are. Submit it to what Christ says about you. Submit it to what Christ says for you. Take every thought. Take it captive. Bring it into subjection under Christ. In other words, hook it into that belt of truth. Come on, church. Is this okay? Thank you, prophet. Thank you, prophet, for giving me this message. All right. So, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. So, we spoke about, we saw very much two words. Faith and hope, faith and hope, faith and hope, faith and hope. Okay. So, <clears throat> let, me, let me finish. Let me drive to an end because you've been really great. So, so 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13, Steve's going to put it up now. And uh, put it in the NIV. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. Paul taking us through that passage of Scripture. Talking about the importance of love. And uh, trying to, to explain and to qualify how incredible this thing of love is. He pursues and goes on with, with the whole thing about love. And he talks about the fact that love is perfection. In other words, love is maturity. In other words, love is grown up. If we have every one of those qualities, we'll be mature human beings. The most mature person who ever lived was Jesus. And, and, and the Bible says about God, which is the same about Jesus, God is love. And so, and really, um, if you want a mature description, and if you want the, a compliment, the greatest compliment that anybody could ever pay you is that you are love. You love people. You love, you, know, you love others. You will give, that's the greatest compliment that in, because that is such a reflection of the character of God. Can I have an amen so that you don't fall asleep? Okay, good. And so he says this, and now these three remain, faith and hope and love. But the greatest of these is love for reasons that he explained before. So in other words, in this process to maturity, in this process of growing up, in this process of reaching destiny, he says, man, something is really essential, and that's faith. Yeah. Now, faith is the substance 
of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Listen, if, if we don't have faith, we might as well give up now. Is that okay? And so, so um, it's faith. The Christian walk is faith first to last, beginning to end. Is that right? We were justified by faith. You know, we are being sanctified by faith and we'll be perfected by faith. That's why Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life. So faith is really important, but it's a substance of things hoped for. Now let's just skip faith. Let's go to love. I said it in the first session. Let me just repeat it again. Um, the more you love a person, the easier it is to trust them. Is that okay? Um, let me just use little Eli as an example. And, uh, you know, Kevin the other day was um, um, chatting with, with uh, you know, and he feels bad, and I've, I've got to try and change things a little bit. But, but as far as Eli is concerned, I, I'm his hero. He's Pajon. Pajon is the hero. And so he was going, uh, you know, Kevin was doing his laces, and he said, you know, he's just chatting with his boy. Hey, my boy, who taught you how to do your shoelaces, tie your shoelaces? Pa John. He's going, no, I did. No, Pa John did. Okay, who taught you to play golf? Pa John. So he went through whole things. Everything was Pa John. Pa John taught me, Pa John, Pa John, Pa John. And uh, so anyway, later on in that day, later on that day, he's naughty. Um, Eli's naughty. So on his third spanking, He's, he's now had it with his dad. So he gets a smack. So now he runs backwards away from his dad and he's holding his bum and he goes, Pa John smacks harder than you. <laughs> so he goes, is that so? Well, come here, I'll hit you again. Fire. He goes, Pa John still hits harder than you. So Pa John taught him everything. So, so anyways, the, my, the point of what I wanted to say was, if you love somebody, it's either to, easier to believe what they say. And so, where does hope come in? Hope is the attitude we have in the process towards the destiny. Hope. Hope. Now we're going to turn to our last verse. And I want to show you. I saw it in a way I've never, ever seen it before late last night. Let's go to Romans chapter 5 as we close out. Are you getting something? This is a Bible study, eh? So Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through what? Faith. That faith is a gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. So that there's no boasting. It's not by works. You are saved by grace through faith. Is that okay? So we've been justified through faith. He gave us the gift. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to get a revelation now. This is really awesome. You know, you, you might not be excited about it, but I'm really excited about it. I've never seen it before. And I mean, I've quoted the, I memorized these verses. And then he goes on in verse 2. He says, through whom we've gained access by what? By faith. Into this grace in which we now stand. So come on, you don't visit grace. You stand in it. This is where we live, in the grace of God. Listen to this. And we rejoice in the what? In the hope. Of what? Of the glory of God. So, in other words, we got saved by grace. We stand in this grace. We've accessed it by faith. We justify. But now I'm rejoicing in hope at the full, at the aspect of the full conclusion of the salvation, which looks like the glory of God. Hope. So this is talking about now, having just got saved okay so faith is a gift i come and suddenly hope arises out of the salvation because i'm looking and i'm going like i'm going to look like him hope is that all good okay now we can proceed class you've got this point verse three he says not only so but we also what in our in our COVID 19 okay ha huh. James says it, Peter says it, now Paul says it. Oh my word. Rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always and again say rejoice. And then it carries on. Rejoice, rejoice. Okay, rejoice in our sufferings. I haven't got that part 100% yet. I'm trying to get there. <laughs> 
Because we know. We don't know. The church doesn't have a good theology on suffering. Because we know that suffering produces... Okay. I'm going to ask Stephen to put it in the KJV. We're getting there. We're getting there. Nearly finished. We're getting there. Not only so, but we glory. It's a little bit more than rejoicing, eh? In tribulations also. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Okay, verse 4. And patience... Now, how many of you got experience? <laughs> now, I've got experience at this whole thing. Is it okay? And patience, what? Experience. In other words, let me explain it. Experientially, I have proved God faithful. Experientially, I've proved His word true. I have tried, proven, tested character because I have experienced God in the fire. Is that okay? Does that make sense? And patience, experience, and experience what? And the hope is in what? The glory of God. Okay. Okay, church. All right. We're going to just pause there. We're not going to go further. But I've got to shut it out with this because this is where come prophet, come stand here by me. Thank you. And, and that, this is here where we go back to the prophet Elijah. So he talks about we, we had, we got this faith as a gift. We got access to God. We stand in this grace. It was a gift. I had nothing to do with that faith. Is that okay? And then when that faith came and I saw the plan of God for me, hope arose. But now, listen, now, and I found one theologian who said this, and I was so excited when I thought I've never seen it before. He said, the first hope is objective. That first hope came when I turned and I looked at Jesus for salvation. Faith and hope came. Is that okay? But the second hope is subjective. The first hope I get from looking at Jesus objective the first hope is subjective I get that hope by looking at myself because when I look into my own senses they've been trained to hope against hope this is a very good message first is I get from looking at him it's a gift the second is because of the experience, the application of his word in life. Even at the worst of times, my senses become trained. I have a different stimulus. My emotions are not captured by fear. I'm independent in that sense from a spirit of fear or any other hijacking emotion. I have such a different spirit that like Joshua and Caleb, I can look at the worst situation and say, if God is for me, who can be against me? I can say, it is true, but this is not the finality. It's real, but it's not my ultimate reality. And if we have the experience, we can say, I've been here before. I've been here. I've been here before. And God then, and God then, and God then, I know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, experiential hope. So I don't have to try and read some manuscript or hear somebody's testimony as good as they are. I don't have to go scurrying through the Bible. As important that is, I look within and I look at the track record of God in my life. And I have God. And I rejoice. And I say, what is God going to do this time? He did it like that then. He did it like that then. Every time different. Bev and I learned when we were at Bible college. <clears throat> we lived by faith. And so it was daily, daily trusting God for fun. Da every single day. And when God showed up with the most amazing provision, every time different, 
I became amazed and enthralled at the ingenuity, the brilliance, the, the, the wisdom of God, the, the fact that he could find the most creative, ingenious ways of supplying, and it was never the same. I would be like, wow. And we started to get excited when we were in, in a place of need. We've got to pay fees for our, the Bible college, and we have nothing, no, and no way of earning it. There's nothing. And we would start going like, whoo, this is really awesome. I wonder how God is going to supply it this time. Legitimately, when we looked inside um, at our senses because of experience, we had hope. So come on, church. We're in a pause. Hook up those garments. Put it into your belt. Submit it to truth. Start looking at God's word. And don't allow any negative emotion to hijack you in this very important period of the testing of your faith. Amen. Hallelujah. Did you get something? Let's stand together. <clears throat> Everybody say, I'm not double-minded. Double say, I don't have a different spirit. A second thought. A second spirit. To say, I have a different spirit in the sense of Joshua and Caleb. Amen? Amen. Say, so I will not allow any illegitimate feeling from any ungodly emotion to hijack me from my destiny to dampen daily miracles I refuse to be captive to be to the whim of emotions and I stand on his word in Jesus name come on let's just lift our hands and thank the Lord if the word said anything to you just thank the Lord for it can we just put the piano on thanks and come on just thank the Lord I know you know, I know you know, but um, there have been many, many periods in my life where if I had let go, if I'd let go of God, I would have fallen into a pit of despair and depression that I may not have ever came out of. One time in the worst of the worst times where I felt like my life was leaving me, my spirit was leaving my body. And uh, tears streaming down my face and I was sobbing and I said to Bev, I can't carry on. I can't do another day like this. I can't suffer another minute longer. Bev looked at me in the eyes and very sternly said, what, you're going to just give up and die? And I couldn't answer because that would never be my confession. And I was just quiet. And she said, what choice do you have but to believe? And then Bev said this to me. She said, <clears throat> You know what makes me hard? What makes it hard for me to stand by you? Because I don't know what you're going through. You, you don't tell me. You, I, I don't know how you're feeling, what you're going through. And I said to her, I'm too afraid to say. Because I'm in a place that I've never, ever been in my life. Never. And I said, and that's this place. When I look inside, into John, there's nothing. There is a deep black hole. I can't find any hope. I can't find faith. I can find nothing there. And I'm afraid that I don't have the strength to hold on. And if I fall into that place, I'll never come out. That's what I said to be. I'll never come out of there. But experience experience the testing of my faith if you ask me now to, to look inside it's a very different story but experience just the endurance that brought hope many times Louis will tell you many times when he would see me and I would be just going through the motions I remember one one time in particular he just looked at me and he said come here my brother and he just put his arms around me and hugged me and held me I don't think I ever told him what that did for me because that was in that period where I'd look inside and there was nothing nothing but blackness and I was too afraid to, to let myself go there 
All I could do was hold on to Jesus and every day put one foot in front of the other. But, but now experience. I can look into John and I can see hope. And it's out of this that I'm speaking this word to you into live stream this morning. Saying God's going to bring you through. There is a hope. Come on, rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It may be going good with you, but God wants it to go better. <laughs> Maybe not so good, but God wants it to go better. Amen. So come on, let's just lift our hands and say, Lord, I believe your word. Come on, tuck every negative emotion, every little bit of downness, whatever, just tuck it into that belt of truth. Just free your legs that, that with a girded up, you know, the loins of your mind girded up so that we can run into what God has got for us. Because I am telling you, I prophesy that there is a great power ahead. There's a great revival ahead. There's something ahead of us. And you and I are part of it. You and I who are standing in this lockdown are a part of what is ahead of us. Come on. Let's not give up hope. Let's not give in to some hijacking feeling or emotion. We stand and we take it. All those watching on live stream, I just want to just reach out my hand to you and I just speak hope to you. I speak blessing to you, but not just the hope that came as a gift, the hope of the glory of God that comes out of a rich experience of trusting God. And the God of salvation will bring you through. The God of hope will just cause you to overflow and come into your destiny in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I release in you a hope that is unshakable, something greater that He has ahead. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I speak blessing over you, peace over you, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Hallelujah. In all of your tribulations, let's rejoice. Come on, let's rejoice. Give the Lord a big hand. Say amen. Wow. Wow. Everybody say after me, I will stand on His Word. I will stand on the truth. I will not be ensnared or entangled. By things that beset. Hebrews 12. I missed that out. Or the sin that so easily entangles. I'll bring it all up. Subjected to the truth of his word. And I will stand like Joshua. I will stand like Caleb. I'm going for the hill country. In Jesus name. So the Lord bless you. See you tonight. Five o'clock. Revival DVD is going to bless your socks off. Amen. See you tonight. Love you all. Love you all. Bless you all. For the obedient and compliant, you cannot eat your chocolates. <laughs> Louis can finish his other half. <laughs> Love you all.